Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing But Sports podcast. I'm Rahel Jaswell. This is episode 39 of the podcast. We are nearing 40 episodes. Uh, a couple things to talk about today. I'm going to go through the Yankees struggles, the NBA playoffs, which has been a common topic as um, in the last couple episodes. Well, obviously, but we're going to talk about the series that are going on now. And we're going to finish it off with NFL. First little NFL talk in a while. We're going to talk about Le'Veon Bell and the comments about Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. So let's start with let's start with the New York Yankees. So the Yankees sit thirty three and thirty two on the season. I think Aaron Boone. I mean, Twitter just I just saw Twitter on Twitter that um Severino's injury his month his return is going to be pushed back by a month, which is honestly not terrible. It could have been a lot worse. So thank God for that because I tried to do an episode yesterday that didn't really work. And I was talking about how, you know, as soon as things look up for the Yankees, everything looks down. But obviously it's a disappointment, but it's 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 a lot better than what it could have been. Um, in the in the grand scheme of things, it is it is a sl- small win for New York that he's only out for a month, considering it could have been a lot longer. So there's that. But the Yankees in general, man, are just really frustrating to watch. They have been absolutely horrible. That, I won't say absolutely horrible this season, but they've been average and. Average for the Yankees with the roster they have and the money they're paying their guys is horrible. I mean, the Yankees sit 33 and 32 on the season, and they're pretty much dead average in every single standing in standings. But it's just that what what have the Yankees done right this season? And I'm gonna give you besides the pitching, which has been a major surprise. So the Yankees are 33 and 32. They're nine games back of the Tampa Bay Rays. For the top spot in the division, we go to wild card, and they're four games out the, they're they're um, they're four games out the wild card spot, top wild card spot, and they're four games out. Sorry, the second wild card spot, and six games off the first wild card spot with the Boston Red Sox. So the Yankees have um, a worse record than tr- the Toronto Blue Jays, Cleveland Indians. They have basically the same record as the Seattle Mariners and the Anaheim Angels. That cannot happen. If you're the Yankees and you have the third highest payroll in the MLB, you cannot be thirty. You cannot be an average team. That that's just that it ain't gonna cut it. Um, with how much money people are making, I know Garrett Cole is making most of that. He's been great, but guys like Stanton, even DJ LeMahieu to an extent, Chapman's making a decent amount. He's been pretty good besides that one save in Minnesota, but gotta be better. And I'll give you another thing. I was just talking. I mentioned this before. When what what do the Yankees do correctly? Give me one thing that the Yankees have done well, despite um, besides their um, their uh, increased or not increased their um, surprise improvement and good pitching. What have they done well this season? Okay, they're bottom in the league in almost every single offensive category, and some people make the excuse that that's because well, the reason they're not scoring as many runs is because you know of the sticky substances in the balls that are different, and that's true. But that's a whole problem for the whole. But that's a problem for the whole of the MLB. So why are the Yankees all of a sudden struggling with it when the whole MLB has to go through it? They should not. So they're, they're bottom in every single offensive category. They can't hit with runners in scoring position to save their lives. They've left the most runners on base. Their IQ is there. They have dumb players. IQ is not high, especially on the base paths. They have had the most runners throw down on base this year, and also, and also, they have had a lot of errors this season. The defense has been really sloppy as well. So basically, the three key things in baseball, out of the four key things, out of 
the three key things out of pitching, fielding, and hitting, in two of the three categories, they are absolutely dreadful this year. And it's there's no signs of it getting better. The only time the Yankees put up eight runs is when they go up against a bad team. But even when they do go up against bad teams, there's a good chance that they still don't score. It, I mean, Boston's a good team, but they have horrible pitching. Um, pitcher who had an ERA of about five or six, Yankees got two runs off him in seven innings. That cannot happen. And I know I've told people, you know, on this podcast before to calm down about the Yankees, especially when they started five and ten on the season. And I thought, but I mean, I've given it enough time. We're midway through June at this point, and they really show no signs of turning their play around. I mean, I know Gary Sanchez and some guys have been getting better, but they have a oh, they have the start of a um, start of the series against the Blue Jays tonight uh, at seven o'clock. They'll obviously throw out the opening pitch, and they'll probably not do well in this Blue Jays series. Blue Jays series. They just I, I don't know. Is it maybe time? To, I, I mean, I think I'm starting to come to this idea that the Yankees are just not a good baseball team, and sure they'll finish over 500, but they're probably not going to make the playoffs. I mean, I'm going to say it right now, right here. Do not be surprised if we sit a couple months from now and the New York Yankees are not playing in the postseason. It's a real possibility. I've been saying it now for almost two weeks, ever since this stretch started. And I know teams are going to go through bad stretches, but for some reason for the Yankees, it just, they just lack, you know, every team goes through bad stretches, but they go through consistently bad stretches. You know what I mean? They're extremely streaky and they need to be consistent. I need consistent form of offense, okay? I can't have you I can't have the Yankees scoring 17 runs in one series and then going two runs in a series. That it just it just can't happen like that. It, there needs to be consistency and there needs to be smarter IQs on the base paths. Now maybe is that because the Yankees third base coach Phil Nevin and staff members have been hit with COVID? Maybe that's a thing, but the players even with even with the, you know, not even with not the even if the personnel is not great, the coach, the players still have to be smart enough to recognize what's going on. And they haven't. They've had poor base running decisions as well. Some stupid hit and run calls. It's just They just haven't worked out. And the problem is, with especially this year with the Yankees, if you can't hit and runners in scoring position, that's why you keep losing extra inning games. The Yankees have lost a lot of extra inning games because they can hit even when there's a runner on second and no one out, and the other team can. So they get one or two runs with a runner on second, and they win the game because the Yankees can't score because they don't hit well with runners in scoring position. It just, it just doesn't, it just blows my mind about how bad this team can be offensively when we're supposed to have this vaunted, unbelievable lineup with Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, um, DJ LeMahieu, you know, Gio Urshela, Gio, Urshela, you know, Gio Urshela when he Gary Sanchez, another guy capable of blasting 30, 30 plus home runs, Glaber Torres who's hit so many home runs, mostly against the Orioles, but still. It just it just blows my mind of how bad they can be. And I don't know, maybe is it because there's a lack of urgency? I'm not sure. But something has got to change quickly if the Yankees want a chance. Remember, there was the stretch coming up um, on the last podcast I talked about them, and it was a seven-game stretch all against the Rays and the Red Sox, and I said they needed to at least go 5-2 and two in that stretch, and they went 2-5. and five. They split a four-game series versus the Rays, which is not bad, and then they got completely swept by Boston. No, ain't gonna. I don't know. And the and as of recently, with the series with the Phils, the pitching has started to look like the old pitching, not super consistent. So we'll see. The Yankees are count. The Yankees could count the, their blessings and that they're lucky. They're only they're a game above five hundred, because I don't know if the pitching is going to remain this solid the whole year. 
if there's a even a, like a nine or a, a small stretch in the season where the Yankees pitching is not is not pitch perfect, then the Yankees could find themselves really in trouble. And we'll see what happens with the Blue Jays as you got the bash the bat the huge bats of the Blue Jays coming in with Vlad Guerrero Jr., George Springer, uh, Bichette, uh, Cav Biggio. I don't know if they're healthy, but even if they're not, they still got a very good lineup, and it's they're very capable of scoring some runs. So we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully they can turn it around because right now the Blue Jays are ahead of them in the division. So hopefully they win this series. But I mean, it's it's not looking good for the Yankees. I'm really not super hopeful out of what I've seen. But anyway, let's move on. So now let's talk about NBA playoffs. Um, a lot of good series going on. There's they are currently, I believe, trying to let me see if I can get this right. There are three series going on, and they're all tied at two games apiece. The only conference semifinal that's done was the Phoenix Suns sweeping the Nuggets, which is kind of expected with no Jamal Murray. So all those series are tied at two games apiece. It's it All three of them have been unbelievable. So let's talk about the ones that happened last night. So let's talk about the Sixers and the Hawks one. And I didn't have much expectation coming into this series. Um, I said that if Embiid was healthy and the Hawks, I said the Hawks at best would get two games, but it was most likely looking like a sweep. And now all of a sudden they're two games a piece. And now you can, I think we're all starting to really see how underrated the Hawks have been talent-wise. And for New Yorkers, you can see why they dispatched the Knicks relatively easily in five games. Because they're giving re- a, fil- a very good Philadelphia team a tough fight. I know if I, I if the Knicks win, I picked the Sixers to beat them in six games. I knew that was a stretch. They The Knicks probably would have gotten swept by the Sixers in the next round. But they have somehow been able to contain, somehow able to steal games. They stole game one. And they completely stole the definition of state. They completely stole game four where the Sixers were in charge the whole game and they just hung around and they, they pounced on the end. Um, Trey Young, look, you know, I got mixed feelings about Trey Young. I really, he's a very good basketball player, but I do think he's a little soft. But hey, every single NBA team is soft nowadays. And now they're reevaluating how he draws fouls, him and James Harden. It's about time. But one thing you got to like if you're an Atlanta Hawks fan, I mean, he struggled from the floor. You know, he was like 9 of 27, something like that. But he still managed to get 24 points. But the big thing for the Atlanta Hawks is, Atlanta Hawks fans that you got to like is, he dished out 18 assists. Those are the, that, which is a career high for him. That's what you, you don't need to dish out 18 assists, but those are the, those are, that's what you need to do when you're not shooting well. Get others involved. Trey Young. If he's not shooting well, he should still be at least getting 11, 12 assists per game. Because of how dangerous he is. You know, he cuts inside. He draws so many people because of his floater and potential. Even when he comes off screens, he draws so much potential. Kick it out to an open shooter like like John, you know, a guy who can make threes like John Collins, uh, Bodanovich, um, Kevin Herter to some extent. It, it, it's And think about this. This Hawks team is not even fully healthy yet. Um, DeAndre Hunter is not is not playing right now. And neither is Cam Reddish. And Cam Reddish is supposed to be a knockdown shooter from Duke. So... This team is not even healthy yet, 100% healthy yet, and they're putting up this fight. They got a good interior presence with Clint Compella, but I will say I don't think Embiid will be that poor again. He was really poor in the second half. He was 0-12. I saw a report somewhere that he was maybe a little banged up, which makes sense because down the stretch he looked really tired and lethargic, but maybe that's just fatigue. Um, remember, he's he is coming off that meniscus tear, that slight meniscus tear, so I don't know if he's 100%, but... Either way, Embiid, I don't care if you're 100% or not. You got you to gotta be better than 0 of 12 from the floor. You're supposed to be the dominant big man that's supposed to win the MVP in the next couple of years. I can't have, you, can't, you can't be shooting 0 of 12, especially when you have, 
especially against a team like Atlanta who can get hot from the three, and your co-star Ben Simmons can't shoot the ball. So Tobias Harris, I mean, yeah, it's it's Tobias Harris can definitely shoot it. So can um, so can Korkmaz and so can Seth Curry. But still, um, we're gonna see. This is one of those series where is Doc Rivers gonna get out coached? Because he got out coached last year by the Nuggets, Mike uh, by Malone by um, Michael Malone by Michael Malone of the Denver Nuggets and Rick Carlisle as well in the first round last year. They were lucky to get the win in that series, but we're gonna see, man. Is it Doc Rivers? Was that the reason the Clippers weren't successful? It's going to be interesting. Um, Nate, um, Nate McMillan, Hawks coach, has been really proved himself in his way area to make adjustments. He's been unbelievable this year. And the Hawks have finished off games, which is something they struggled to do in the regular season. But should be a good series. I'm really looking forward to the last three games. So now, so that was the first series that happened. And we're going to move to the other one, which was the later series. That, or happened, Game 4 happened late last night. Clippers and Jazz. So Clippers once again got down 0-2. Came back and even the series. Originally, I had the Clippers in. Um, let me just pull up. I actually have the paper in front of me. I had the Clippers in six originally at the start of this series because I felt like I didn't buy Utah. I didn't buy into Utah 100%. And the last two games have, have kind of backed up my reasoning there because Donovan Mitchell has gone has been crazy this whole series. But again, they just weren't. They just came out so lethargic last night in game four. They were bludgeoned in the first quarter 30-13. to 13. And I don't think that'll happen again, but... I mean, what I saw from last night from the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell, I love you, man. He's an unbelievable player, and he was the only guy scoring, but he has to be more efficient down the stretch. There were too many times where I saw him try and force his way through double teams, throw up a tough shot that ruined the momentum because he's trying so hard to will his team back. It almost reminds me of Russell Westbrook. They're trying to will his team back, and he just runs into traffic, and I feel like he needs to do that, and he's clearly not 100% Donovan Mitchell. You can clearly see that there, his ankle is bothering him, but he, you got to respect him for gutting through. But there are times where he needs to, you know, he needs to back off and make shots for guys like Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, uh, Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson has to play better as well. He was only 3 of 13, and he's the, supposed to be the sixth man of the year. I do think he'll be better in Game 5, but he has to play better. But from what I saw in that fourth quarter, I think Donovan Mitchell also has to be more efficient with his play and cut out the turnovers because I saw a three or two or three turnovers down the stretch that kind of hurt them. And I saw him dribbling to dribbling to a couple double teams and take some really tough shots. So he needs to do that. But also Rudy Gobert, I don't know what the hell Rudy Gobert was doing last night. He's supposed to be the defensive player of the year. <clears throat> he was in foul trouble. So he was nowhere to be seen. But at one point he had played like 20 minutes and he had one point. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't be that bad from the, from the field. So I think, Last night was a real struggle for the Jazz just in general. They were able to stick around. And another thing for the Clippers is I don't know about the health of Kawhi Leonard's knee. He seemed to have aggravated some kind of injury. So um, so we're going to see. But again, I'm really looking forward to that series. But I'm going to stick with my original pick of the Clippers in six. I do think they get game five at Utah. Or maybe I go Clippers in seven. I maybe think Utah gets it in game five. And the Clippers get um, Clippers get game six in game. Oh, wait. No, maybe not. Um... I'm trying to think here because Utah's home court advantage is such a is is such a glaring huge advantage for them, and now they're going to have two home two of the three games at home court. But the question is, which one do I think the Clippers will steal? You know, what? I think they'll steal Game Five tonight. We'll see. I don't know if Mike Conley is good to go, so I think the Clippers win this series. I'm going to stick with my original prediction of Clippers in six, and they get to the West Finals. They were my pick for the championship, 
And honestly, with the injuries the Brooklyn Nets have, that prediction might not be a, you know, might not be a huge thing, might not be a huge reach. I was really like, do I pick the Clippers or not? But yeah, we'll see. But if, if you're the Clippers, you need to keep this, keep it, keep it going. The main thing for the Clippers right now, I think the main guy who needs to play well, not only is Kawhi and PG, but Marcus Morris. Whenever Marcus Morris goes up, so does the team. When he down, when he down plummets, so does the team as well. <clears throat> he was unbelievable in that game seven. He was unbelievable in the first half when he's knocking down shots. It is so much harder to clue in on the on the Clippers. Even Luke Kennard. Um, one of the reasons that like I was looking at the Clippers this year, like you know, why aren't you playing Luke Kennard? He's he's a shooter. He's a really deadly shooter. So you're you're focused on even Marcus Morris to some extent. You leave Luke Kennard wide open from the corner. He's gonna make you pay. Clippers are. He, Good three-point shooting team, so are the Jazz. But we'll see how Utah responds in Game 5. But yeah, again, I'm looking forward to all these playoff series. All these playoff series are going to be extremely close. So uh, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, now let's talk about the last series. The, the one that tipped, uh, Game 5 tips off tonight at 8.30. The Nets and the, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. And um, uh, Kyrie Irving is out. But there's a very good chance that James Harden is going to play. So that is good news for the Nets. They'll have two of even though they'll miss Kyrie, they'll have two of the three. They'll have two of the three big three members on the on the floor, which is great because you saw how bad they were in Game Four when Kyrie Kyrie left and it was just KD to um it was just Kyrie KD left to carry the team. It didn't work. So with with James Harden and Kevin Durant, I think I'll still take the Nets over Milwaukee. Although I don't know if Harden is a hundred percent because he's gonna. He's gonna come in cold. He's gonna come in like like a cold turkey because even though he's had some intense workouts, he hasn't he hasn't had like NBA playoff type workouts. So we'll see how how good he is. I personally think he'll be fine, but um, we'll see. It's 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 a real it's real. The Nets have had to deal with so many injuries this year, and you know I don't want the Nets to win the series, but it'd really be a shame that. The reason they lost was kind of like they didn't have any of their big three members, but they've got two now because James Harden is most likely going to play. Um, honestly, I don't know if Kyrie will be back for the rest of this series. To be completely honest, I honestly think he'll miss game six, but if there's a game seven, he'll probably be good to go for that one as well. So maybe they have their all three of them back at one point, but Milwaukee has done a good job of taking what's in front of them. They, they just eked out a game three win. And game four, the opportunity presented themselves and Kyrie Irving went down, and they took advantage of it. But <clears throat> something to think about in game five tonight. Giannis Antetokounmpo, stop shooting the three. I have no idea why in the world are you shooting the three-pointers. Tell me why Giannis should shoot the threes, okay? Because every time you shoot the three ball, the defense is literally in their head going, thank you. Thank you so much, Giannis. You have just made our lives 50 to- 100 times easier okay he was one of eight for three in game in game four one of five in, um well, he was one of eight in game three one of five in game four he should not be taking more than two threes a game if you want to take one the only time he should be taking a three is if he has to at the end of the shot clock I do not want to see him going up and pull up for three because we're going to acknowledge it you just don't have that shot you can work on it in the regular season hell you can work on it in some regular season games but this ain't the time man this ain't the time when you're playing a good team like the Brooklyn Nets where every possession counts because of how good their offense is. This ain't the time. You saw what happened 
early in that game three when you put your head down and drove. You saw what happened in game four when you put your head down in transition and got out in front. No one can stop you. No one can stop you. And a worst case scenario, even though you're not good at free throws, you draw fouls on the defenders like Blake Griffin and like, like, like Blake Griffin and maybe even Kevin Durant to some extent to put them in foul trouble. So, and again, put your team in the bonus and have guys get guys like Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday to the line. So it's only really, if they're, if they keep stopping you from driving, then, then maybe, but still, no, I don't want you to, I, I just think him taking threes at this rate is just not good enough. And I don't think Milwaukee will go anywhere if he keeps having to pull f- um, five plus three pointers a game, because Really, you've only gotten hot in one game we've ever seen, that game against the Lakers where he went like 6 of 8 from 3. That's a blimp. That's probably not going to happen again because you're just not that good of a shooter. You don't have the release, and it's just so inconsistent. You can always, you're clanking right, you're clanking left, you're airballing. It just doesn't work. So that's my advice to Giannis. Um, P.J. Tucker did a really good job. Um, another thing, we'll see if P.J. Tucker sticks on Kevin Durant. I think he will because he did a good job with him in Game 4. Uh, Steve Dash was complaining like a lot of it was... A lot of it was unbasketball characteristic. Stop it. Stop it. I like the physical play by P.J. Tucker. We all know that's what he does. Durant should be used to P.J. Tucker because I'm pretty sure P.J. Tucker guarded him a couple times when he was in Houston and Durant was on the Warriors. So KD should be able to make the adjustment there to his um to his thing. But getting James Harden back is huge. Not only because you have another, not only because of it, you know his scoring ability, but just because KD alone, KD is... I mean, I don't know if KD's ever had to be the lone superstar to where his role is increased to not only being a scorer, but a facilitator. I don't think Kevin Durant is a great facilitator. He's a great scorer, maybe the best scorer in the NBA, and maybe one of the great scorers of all time because how effortless he makes it look. But he's not, he's not, he's not, never had to be, you know, a facilitator. That's what they miss when James Harden and Kyrie Irving are out. James Harden is the main facilitator when he's on the floor. That's why you see him getting these numbers like, you know, 25, 30, 28, 30 points with 14 assists. And then when he's out, thankfully Kyrie Irving can take over that role of being the facilitator and getting 25 points and 13 assists. Kevin Durant is always just the main scorer. He has never had to be a great facilitator in his career. And that was one of the things that we were, I was looking at after game four. Like, you know, if they can't come back, then all of a sudden they don't have a facilitator and it's all on Kevin Durant to score every single bucket because Joe Harris doesn't knock him down consistently enough. So... Getting one of those guys back is huge, because especially James Harden, because James Harden is a very good passer, because of the way his game is suited. So, and the way he gets, you know, he gets inside and kicks it out and stuff like that. So, getting a facilitator back like that is a huge breath of fresh air for the Brooklyn Nets in general. But it's still going to be tough. I'm, I'm going to still pick them to win the game and the series if they have two of their big three healthy. But it's still going to be very tough to beat this Milwaukee team. Um, I felt like in game one, they won and Milwaukee really shot poorly from the three. Same thing in game two, but I felt like halfway through game two, Milwaukee just gave up. Game three, they were able to eke one out where neither team played well. Game four, game four, even before Kyrie Irving went down, they were still up by four and they had just gone a huge run. So it's not like Brooklyn was dominating the game. What I, you know, And then as soon as Kyrie went down, they dipped. But they did dip, but it was not like they were dominating before. Milwaukee was still ahead and playing better. So it's still it's still going to be a really tough series. We're going to see if this series stretch. I'm going to see it's going to be interesting to see if this if this series goes seven, if they can get them back. But yeah, we'll see. But also, Milwaukee Drew Holiday has to play a lot better. Um, and we're going to see if Chris Middleton ends up folding like a chair 
in the last couple of games. Same thing with Giannis. But, hey, Milwaukee's got a real opportunity here. You got a real opportunity to get to the conference finals. And with the way the 76ers look right now, they don't look great. So there's a real good chance if you get to the conference finals, you could beat them and maybe even you get the Hawks at some point. And I don't think Capella's going to be able to keep up with Giannis. So there's a real good chance Milwaukee, if they can take advantage of this questionable hobbled Nets team, they can get to the NBA Finals. But I'm going to still pick with my stick with my prediction of taking Brooklyn with the um, if with Harden playing. Uh, I don't know if Kyrie is going to be back for Game Six, but we're going to see. So that wraps up the NBA talk. Now for the final topic of the day, I haven't been talking about NFL much ever since the whole Aaron Rodgers situation, which I've kind of become sick of. But Le'Veon Bell is in the news. Yes, Le'Veon Bell is in the news. Um, a couple days ago, he was replying to IG Instagram comments, and he basically said that he hated his time in Kansas City, and he will never play for Andy Reid again, and he would just, if he had the option of either playing for Andy Reid or not, he would just retire. Well, I got news flash for you, buddy. Why don't you just retire? Because Andy Reid is not looking at that comment and thinking, oh no, Le'Veon Bell doesn't want to play for us and would much rather retire. I think everyone in the league would much rather prefer you retire because you're not getting a job anywhere else. Also, you're looking for... Le'Veon Bell in 2017 was an all-pro and now all of a sudden he's about to be out of the league. I don't think any team will pick him up in free agency. Free agency is almost done. All minicamps are starting. You're not going to be a part of minicamp. So if you're looking for another job and you want another opportunity, why in the world are you criticizing Andy Reid? Andy Reid, who in pub, I, we have never seen a player or another coach or any personnel ever come out and publicly criticize Andy Reid. His re, with his resume and what we've heard from people as well close to him is nothing but glowing reviews about his character, how nice he is, how great of a coach he is, and how much players love him. I mean, his, his one, what was the criticism of him in Philadelphia? Was that he was too nice to the players. So now you're talking about, oh, what he said to me? I, I don't know. I really don't know. And Le'Veon Bell is trying to play this position as if he has any power in the NFL anymore. Newsflash for you, buddy. You're washed up. You don't have any power any, in the NFL anymore. If this was 2017 Le'Veon Bell, then the league would be on notice. Like, oh, we got a chance to go get Le'Veon Bell. If you remember... He, the Jets, so after he went to the Jets, he shifted into neutral, he gained weight, and he didn't live up to his deal, so the Jets cut him. Honestly, you can make an argument that the Jets cutting Le'Veon Bell was better for them. Really. You can honestly make the argument of that because of how bad he was. Then he signs with the Kansas City Chiefs, and <clears throat> when he signed, I thought it was a good move because it was a good scheme fit for him. He could still catch the ball, and I was thinking, okay... They're going to need a more physical guy because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can't bang it in from the one-yard line, and that's why the Chiefs were struggling in the red zone because it's so hard to throw a third-and-goal pass from the one just because of how close you are. It limits your playbook, especially with guys who like to go deep like Tyreek Hill. And it really just did not work with the Chiefs. It really he didn't, get, he didn't even dress for the AFC Championship game. Dressed for the Super Bowl but didn't get in. But you know you're fading. Why would you just, just keep your mouth shut? This reminds me of what LaShawn McCoy did. LaShawn McCoy was at the end of his career on the last couple legs, but he kept his mouth shut. He signed with KC. He didn't play much, but he still kept his mouth shut. And guess what happened? He got a ring out of it. Then he goes to Tampa Bay, gets another payday, gets another chance in the NFL, keeps his mouth shut, even though he's not playing that much. And he got another ring. And he's probably maybe going to get another one because I think he, he re signed again with, with, um, with Tampa Bay. 
So he got another payday as well. So you got to keep your mouth shut, man. Like, this is not, this is not like an important running back anymore. Every time Le'Veon Bell plays, he, he looks like he's moving in slow motion. And it's, and I think the downfall happened in 2017. So 2017, he became the all, he was an all pro running back. And, but an interesting thing, the, the one stat that was glaring is that he stat, he had 400 touches of the ball, 400 touches include out of all touches. So not just running, but catching the ball. He had 400. Very few running backs have ever been the same after they reach that 400 touch mark. Because you get 300 carries and 100, 100 passes, you're taking a lot of hits from a lot of big guys. And there's only so much you can take. And this is the problem with running backs. They completely run themselves into the dirt. So by the time he's still pretty young, he's only 29. That's old for a running back, especially of his caliber. Because of that 400 touch season, he's just completely beat up his body. So that's why he's just not as good as he used to be. And it's, and I think we're now getting a glimpse into how Le'Veon Bell truly is as a character. Because if you remember, the Steelers offensive line openly came out and criticized him for sitting out, even when he was just, just because it was an organizational organization issue with money. We have very rarely seen players side with an organization over a teammate. And that was like, oh, wow, that was a real shock that they were doing that. So now it gives you more validity into thinking maybe they did this because they didn't like having him as a teammate based on these comments he's just said and how he was never happy with his... And you can, you can say that, you know, I didn't enjoy my time in Kansas City, but you can handle it much better. You can say, you know, thanks, Coach Andy Reid. Thank you to the organization for giving me a shot. Unfortunately, it was just not what both, we were both looking for, and it didn't work out in the way we both wanted it to. I didn't, I, you know... I appreciate the opportunity, but I got to move somewhere else because it just didn't work out between the two of us. There's, there's, that's a perfect way to say it, regardless of how you feel about the guy. You can just say that. You don't have to say, oh, I don't like him. I'll, I'll never play for him, even if I'll just retire if, I ever, if they ask me to play for him again. So you can handle the situation better. But again, he's acting like he has some sort of power in this situation. I mean, to be completely honest, Le'Veon, I don't think most of the players knew you were in the league still when you said this. You might as well retire because no one's picking you up, man. Really, no one's picking you up. Everyone's going to going to the, into the season with the team they have. The only way you get picked up is if a team gets ravished by injuries and is run out of running backs on the roster. You probably... I don't even know if Le'Veon Bell could be a third-string running back anymore. He Helen sure can't be a starter. Don't think he can be a backup. So who knows if he can be a third-string one because he just doesn't fit, really. With what team? Because before the Steelers O line, you know there was that slow place running. Can't do that anymore. A because you're not going to find offensive lines that are that great, especially with the with the pass rush that are going to that are going to give him that time. And B he's just not and as athletic and quick enough to do that. So every time he stops and he tries to spin, it just doesn't work because he's not as athletic as he used to be. So it's just an easy it's just an easy tackle. It's just an easy stuff at the line. So I don't know what Le'Veon Bell's doing. He'll be out of the league, I think. After this year, I mean, he might get picked up this year. We'll see what, I mean, if, if the same injury rate happens, but I doubt he'll really, he'll really achieve much anymore. I think his better years are behind him. I think he'll be out of the league soon. Anyway, that is all for uh, this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. And I'll hopefully you guys listen into the next couple episodes. Thank you.